missed it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We are in Hebrews 11, verses 20 through 22. And uh, we began last week in verse 17, talking about Abraham uh, and continued. And we referred to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And these are the four, you know, they, the, the three great patriarchs, and then Joseph's included in this. And what you have here is four generations who are going to, by faith, they're going to uh, continue in the promise. And again, I, like I said before, this is not to undermine uh, lifestyle or character or righteous behavior because every one of these people, when they didn't follow God morally or they didn't follow God ethically or they made choices that were outside or against God's will, they paid a price. Just like Galatians says, whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. But this chapter, 11, is not about righteous living. It's about faith and trusting the promise. And in spite of the fact that many of the people in, the, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we can point out failures. I mean, that's not, we can do that through everybody in the Bible. We can go around the room and take turns. The idea here is that everybody in this chapter, in, in, in the midst of all the things of life, they kept turning towards God. They had faith in God. And they're just moving quickly through, much quicker than, than I am, of course, uh, through a list of people, this writer in 63 A.D., writing to the Jews, of their heroes of faith. And he just brushes through, spends some time on Abraham, but just passes through Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph very quickly. And I just wanted to spend some time looking at what he's referring to instead of just reading it. I'll read it here in the NIV, then we'll go look at the notes, and we'll go back to Genesis. Uh, we are in... Uh, chapter 11 we'll begin in verse 17 and he'd spent some time talking about abraham uh earlier in the chapter and then in verse 13 came back and kind of summarized you know everyone's looking forward to this city and then he comes back to abraham and continues from abraham isaac jacob and joseph and so here we go verse 17 by faith abraham when god tested him offered isaac as a sacrifice he who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son the unique son even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. That's one of the things that made him unique. It, the, uh, the, the, the promise has to come through Isaac. Abraham had to reason, had to figure, logically solve the, you know, the equation. It's like these promises are contradicting each other. Well, God's going to have to then apparently resurrect him from the dead. Uh, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. That's, again, the last part about Abraham. But he had promise, he had trust in the promise and had a conflict, but reasoned that God is going to fulfill the promise and we'd have to raise him from the dead. So he's going to do the impossible. Now we move into Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. That's all it says. We'll come back and review that. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Again, interesting, it, just in this right here, you, not, not to be critical of Jacob because he did many things where he was interacting with God throughout his life, but you've got him you know, deceiving, you manipulating, you've got him going up and you know, having to f battle with his father-in-law up in Padanaram and, and escape after 20 years. He's got to come back and face Esau. His sons, if the sons are any kind of a portrayal of what the father was like, his sons are, you know, gangster. I mean, they're slaughtering villages and they're doing all kinds of things. It's kind of like, Jacob, what, what, what example are you setting at home? And so we go through all the way through his life. Again, not saying he's a total failure at any means, but we go all the way to the end of his life where finally they have something that they can grab a hold and say, by faith, uh, when he was dying. I mean, he goes through his whole life and when he was dying, uh, he blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And we'll look at that. And now J Joseph is going to have two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. And they're going to play up in this uh, in, in a big way. Ephraim, those are the two sons that are mentioned. Uh, so Jacob is going to bless these two sons as he's dying, and he's going to actually be talking about the blessing of Abraham that came to him through Isaac, remember, with his mom, Rachel. Now Jacob's got this, and he's got these 12 sons. They've multiplied into a group of 70-some people uh, with sons and you know, grandsons. And now Joseph, who he hadn't seen for a long time, is alive. And when he's dying, he calls for Joseph, 
and wants the hand of blessing on him. So, in his dying moments, he realizes the importance, now that he, and he always had, he, he betrayed, deceived, manipulated to get the promise. So he's always had faith in this, in the promise of the Lord. And now he's, in his last moments, handing it off to Joseph, actually bypassing Joseph and handing it to these two sons here. Well, then we're going to see the next verse, and we've got we to spend some time talking about that, what takes place there. And not everything is crystal clear. Jo- Jacob is talking about events in his life that they may be in the book of Genesis or they may not be recorded. There, there's things he's referring to, so there's kind of some gaps in there. Uh, and then the last verse we're looking at today, verse 22, by faith, Joseph... Uh, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of Israel from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. He is, when he's going to die, he's going to be put into a tomb, a sarcophagus, we would assume. He's high in the Egyptian ranks. We can go back and see how the Egyptians buried, and we assume Joseph had something similar to that. But when he was buried, he says, I want to be moved. God is, you're not going to stay here. There's been this promise given to Abraham. You know, this might be 1700 B.C., uh, Abraham, we can say, was around 2000 B.C., so you may have 250, 300-year span here, and Joseph says, we are now in Egypt, just like God told Abraham when he made the covenant, that you're going to go to a foreign land, and you'll be enslaved there for 400 years, but after 400 years, you will come back to this land. Well, Joseph is the one who is taken to Egypt as a slave, there's a famine. He brings his entire family down in fulfillment of prophecy. Not that that's why he did it, but he brings them down because there's a famine in the land. And now they're in the land. They're prospering in the land. Uh, he's the ruler in the land. But he knows this is not our home. I mean, this is, again, understand the faith of Joseph. They're living in a very uh, uh, avarus, if we, we will mention that again, avarus, which is going to be built over by Ramses, where he's going to build the, the store city. But during this time of arson, they've excavated it. Uh, It was a very prospering city of a Semitic people uh, around 1700 B.C., and everything was fine. I mean, it's like they finally found their home. I mean, the the family's growing. The people were spreading out. Uh, He's ruling the land. But when he dies, he says, understand, I want you to put my bones in a sarcophagus or a box because when God comes to deliver you, you're going, we haven't forgot about this promise. We're down here. We're in this phase of eschatology. We're down here in the foreign land for a period of 400 years, but the day is surely going to come where you're going back. Don't leave me here. Don't leave my bones in the, in the tomb here in Egypt because I want to go back to the land that was promised to our forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that was Joseph. That's what he's saying at his death is, you guys are, don't, don't get, and again, how many of them really understood it? I mean, they were probably all taught it. They, they were all, you know, trained in it. Uh, it was a family tradition. But some of them, just like when they went to Babylon, many of them didn't come back. They just stayed in Babylon afterwards, Cyrus, because they got comfortable. When this comes time, and you remember when Moses came to set them free, they weren't all like lined up, ready to go. They rejected Moses on several occasions. They rejected Moses on the way through the wilderness. I mean, they didn't want to go. They, they wanted to go back. The further they got from Egypt, the more they thought how good it was back there in slavery. Those were the good days. We had plenty of food. Well, you worked all day. Well, yeah, but we, we didn't have to wander in this wilderness. And then that's another part of the story. But there were probably people already becoming very, very comfortable in Egypt. And Joseph, as he's dying, saying, this is not it. We have a promise that God made to Abraham, and God is going to fulfill that promise. But look how long it's taking from, say, 2000 B.C. to 1700 B.C. I mean, they're going backwards. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans, traveled as a foreigner, you know, very wealthy, powerful foreigner in the land of of Canaan, as did Isaac, as did Jacob. Uh, They have no land of their own. Finally, Joseph brings them down to Egypt and says, and Pharaoh says, you can have the land of Goshen, which was where Avaris was at. And they settled there. It's like, okay, now we've, we've finally made some progress. We want, our forefathers wandered from the Canaan or the Chaldeans, and now we're in Egypt. We found our home. It's like, no, the reason Abraham left was to go to the place God called him. You came down here to endure the famine and become a nation, and God is going to bring you back to fulfill the promise. And again, it makes sense to us, but imagine being one of these people 
or being one of the sons of Jacob, trying to understand what Jacob's talking about grandpa telling him that his father had, uh, and Jacob comes back from Padan Aram, and we're, it's like, well, this doesn't make any sense. They just want to get on with their lives. And that's kind of where Joseph is. He's now talking to these guys. And as we'll see, it all, as we know, it all comes to pass. Okay. Now, in your notes, uh, very quickly, uh, page one, there you have, now we're in the English Standard Version. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And we talked about that last week, is uh, Isaac wanted to bless Esau, but God had, he was the firstborn of the twins, but God had chosen the secondborn, Jacob. And Isaac kind of wanted this, trained Esau, but God had says it was going to be Jacob. Uh, Rebekah, Jacob's mother, helped him deceive Isaac to getting the blessing. And when he did, even in his life, after he, they were older, uh, after Jacob came back from Padan Aram, he spoke of the blessing given to Jacob as if it was going to take place. He, he blessed him and says, you will prosper, you will have these things. Esau was going to become another great people, but he was going to have to leave the promised land, go to the land of Edom. And so he spoke of these, sometimes he was, early on in his life he was tricked, but towards the end of his life he came to realize, just like God had said when, they, when his wife was pregnant with the twins what was going to happen, he maybe resisted it, but in the end, he came to accept, yes, Jacob, you will be blessed because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this promise God gave us is now yours. And Jacob has, then has the 12 sons. But, it, but the point there was Isaac, even as he was dying towards the end of his life, he's talking about this promise to Jacob. Now we come to Jacob. Jacob, as you know, as a younger man, manipulate his brother, getting the birthright. Uh, he then, with his help of his mother, deceives his father and gets a blessing, saying he's Esau. Uh, and it actually gets the blessing. First, God said he was going to get it. He's got Esau gave it to him. Now, Isaac gave him the verbal blessing. So it is Isaac's, or excuse me, it is Jacob's. But he has to flee the land because Esau wants to kill him. So he goes up and spends 20 years in Padanaram. He spends seven years working for the girl he wants, Rebecca, gets tricked and gets her sister Leah instead, but with the promise that you can have both of them, but you've got to work seven more years. And they both give him a handmaid so they can have a children's race, so who can have the most children. So he now ends up with four wives, 12 kids, one daughter, and comes back to the land. So on the way leaving the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, God met him at Bethel which is going to be important. Bethel means house of God. Uh, like Bethel, like B-E-T, that would mean house, and then L, God, Bethel, the house of God. Uh, he saw angels coming and going on a ladder, going up and down at Bethel. And God told him, I will bring you back here, and I will give you and your descendants this land. Says the same thing to Jacob that Isaac and Abraham had heard. And Jacob leaves for 20 years. He comes back. And then when he comes back, he has to deal with Esau, and they get that worked out. Uh, he has to fight the angel of the Lord across the Jordan River, and God you know, changes his name from uh, Jacob to Israel, from deceiver to Israel. And several things take place in his life, and he lives, and his sons grow up, and they go their own different directions. Uh, and as you know, the 12 sons, there's 10 of them plus Joseph the younger. Joseph's got the coat and the blessings. The ten sons end up selling him into slavery. Jacob mourns the loss of Joseph, also mourns the loss of his favorite wife, uh, Rachel, because uh, she dies giving birth to Joseph's little brother, Benjamin. So now he's got 11 sons. His favorite wife is dead, so he's a miserable man, apparently, and thinks Joseph is gone. Meanwhile, Joseph is a slave in Egypt, works through the ranks, becomes the visor in Egypt, and Jacob's just living his life in the land of Canaan. Now, Joseph saves the land of Israel or Egypt, you know, has the, Pharaoh has the dreams, seven years of plenty, seven years of want. He builds the storehouses, condenses all the power of the land into Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is very powerful, very wealthy. Uh, Joseph is underneath him making all the decisions. 
at that time, and you see the very thing happening in Egyptian government at the time, all the local leaders condensing their power in one pharaoh because he's buying up their power because he's got grain because joseph stored the grain for seven years and he changes the dynamics of egypt and joseph is a hero in egypt well when jacob's suffering the famine he sends his sons down to get grain as you know joseph recognizes them but he looks like an egyptian gives them the grain they run out of grain they got to come back again but joseph had tricked them into not tricked them but found out asked them many questions that they had a brother benjamin and says you won't get any grain until i see your benjamin your son or your brother because he started calling them spies you're here spying on our land you know there some kind of cyber warfare is going on and he started making all these accusations you know way over their pay grade and joseph's using his political powers to just you know mess with them so they bring benjamin back and jacob is one now Benjamin ends up stealing the cup, but he didn't steal the golden cup of Joseph's. Joseph had it put in his bag so he could arrest him and bring him back. So, well, J- J- uh, Benjamin's got to go to prison because he stole my cup. And the ten sons are like, oh, no, this is terrible because they've already seen their father Jacob suffer because they lied to him about Joseph dying. And now they, they begged him to let Benjamin go back. And his, that's his prized possession is his youngest son. Well, now they're going to have to leave him behind. That's where Judah steps in and says, please take me instead of him i can't go back and let my father see that we failed again uh i'd rather be here than go back and that's where joseph begins to break down and cry then they freak out because now the visor the leader of the country is weeping in front of them and it's like what well, what is going on he says i am joseph and now they're terrified because uh, this is joseph the one they sold in the slaver who's ruling egypt he's the most powerful man in the world under pharaoh who he made powerful uh they're like okay we're all dead men uh and Joseph says, no, 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 I've been waiting to see you. Come back and live with me. I'll take care of you. Just live here. And Pharaoh welcomes, so they all move down. Jacob gets to see Joseph. So now they're down in the land of Goshen. They're living in Egypt. And that's where Joseph comes in. Again, Jacob is going to now speak his dying words in, in Genesis 48. So we're going to go to Genesis 48. Uh, and this, again, you, you know a little bit you know because we've talked about it you know more because you've read it yourself and talked about it yourself but uh chapter 48 of genesis jacob we would got you've got to say jacob is a man of faith i mean he's he's spoken with god god has called him he's been chosen uh he hasn't necessarily lived a perfect life uh but the ideal is at this point in his life he's still got faith they're still trusting does he understand everything see that's something i I want i've said it before but we've got to go back did abraham understand everything about how this promise was going to come to pass he didn't know about joseph he didn't understand the slavery in egypt he wasn't even wasn't even told what country it was it's just another nation so there's many things these guys don't know and so we can look back i mean two things one they've got great faith maybe greater faith than we've got but at the same time they've got information but not as much information as we have simply because we're on the other side of history and we've got it all in written documental form they're talking prophetically you know isaac and jacob and joseph's life and the slavery is all in a sense future in abraham's life so does he understand it like we do no because it's it's historical fact he may have understood it by faith but he really didn't understand, he didn't know it. And so that goes all the way through. So these guys are on, on both sides. They, they have, in a sense, maybe greater faith, but at the same time, we've got more details. And so it's interesting to see how they work this. But anyway, Jacob now uh, is in Goshen. And remember, Joseph's a big man, not, not big, large man, but he's a powerful man in Egypt. And so he's busy working. He's controlling the nation. Uh, Jacob is living in the land of Goshen with his family. He's an old man. So chapter 48, the people, have all, they've all come down and lived. Um, uh, chapter 48, verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. Now, what he's doing, he's bringing Manasseh and Ephraim for a blessing. They're not just going to go visit grandpa in the nursing home they're going for a ceremony so this is going to be again as we're reading this don't think you're visiting your grandfather in the nursing home well did you have a nice lunch grandpa you know do they take care of you here are you playing checkers no they're going for a ceremony where grandpa's going to sign the will 
He's going to sign. The lawyers are there. The, the papers are all laid out. This is, this is a ceremony. It's like a, a marriage ceremony. It's like a, a baptism. It's like a, it's a ceremony. So don't, don't think visiting grandpa in the nursing home and making sure he gets his pudding. Think more like we need to sign these documents and have a ceremony before grandpa dies. Your father is ill, so he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength. Now notice how Jacob and Israel, that's the same guy, Jacob, but Israel rallied his strength, meaning he's getting up for the ceremony, and sat up on his bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, there's your word, El Shaddai, appeared to me at Luz. Now that's going to throw you, Luz throws me, Luz, that's the the name for Bethel. That's the name of Bethel when Jacob stayed there for the night and slept, and then the angels came and descended on him, and he says, surely this is the house, Bet, of God, El. This is surely Bethel, the house of God. So when he says Luz, that means Bethel. That's just the original name for it. In the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, now you can see this is what he said to him when he came to him that night and says, I'm gonna, you're going to go, but I'm going to bring you back to this land. He said, I'm going to, now see, this is Jacob remembering he's leaving the land of Canaan, going to Padanaram, running from Esau. He's just deceived his brother, deceived his father. He's never going to see his mom again. He's leaving the land. Uh, he has no wives, no children. And when he comes back, he's going to have the four wives. He's going to have the, the, the children. And his life's going to begin. So this is early in his life. He's leaving, and he's remembering as he's dying in the foreign land with you know, all the children, all the grandchildren, what God told him way before he was even married. And God says, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. See? And this is one man sleeping under the stars. I'm going to make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. So it's not just you, but you are a link from Abraham through Isaac to you that's going to go on, and it's an eternal promise. Now then, your, he says now to Joseph, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. So what he is doing right there, he says, the two sons that you had born to you before I got to Egypt, he says, they will be as if they were mine. So instead of having 12 sons, he's now got 14. He's adopting them in. This is a powerful move because he's adopting them into, they're, they're going to have a portion in the division of the land between you know, Simeon and, and, and uh, Reuben and, and Levi and Judah all the way down. These two guys are going to get a portion of the land. Now, when you look at the later divisions of the land, Joseph never has a portion. There's never... The land of Joseph. There's no land of Joseph. Because there's always the land of Manasseh and Ephraim. In fact, I think I've got it on your, <coughs> yeah, page two. There's the, a breakdown of the tribes of where they got. And you can see, for example, if you look for Judah. For example, see Judah right there at the bottom. That's the fourth son. Jacob in chapter uh, 49 is going to speak of the Messiah coming from the tribe of Judah. <laughs> But that's going to be where Judah is. And notice, Simeon doesn't get any land. Two group, two guys don't get any land. Simeon and Levi don't get any inheritance. Simeon just kind of moves in with Judah and kind of war mor morphs into the land of Judah. He doesn't get any inheritance. Levi doesn't get any inheritance either. These two, Simeon and Levi, are in a sense... I don't want to use the word cursed. Cursed is their anger. Their anger is cursed. But they are spoken of in chapter 49 because they're the ones, when we, were, we mentioned before, and we, we'll mention again, but we haven't talked about it today, they slaughtered the city of Sechem because their, their sister Dinah got raped by the king's son, Sechem. Uh, they went in and manipulated the people like their father manipulates and slaughtered the city. And, and Jacob wasn't pleased with that. So Simeon doesn't get an inheritance, and Levi doesn't get an inheritance. Okay, now, but you say, Levi, yeah, Levi got a great inheritance. They're the Le Levitical priesthood. Right, because in the wilderness, after they leave the land of Egypt, 
and Moses goes up on the mountain to speak with God to get the law, the people started, they had Aaron make a golden calf. Aaron is from the tribe of Levi, made a golden calf, and the people started worshiping the golden calf because the golden calf, there's an image of one right there from the Bible times, uh, but that's where the gods, they would always travel on a bull or a calf. So that wasn't their god necessarily, but that's where their god would come in on. Like, like the Lord would be carried, like a, 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 the ark would carry him, or uh, Ezekiel saw him on a throne carried by the cherubim. The ox would be, anyway, they made a golden calf. Moses comes down, and the people were out of control. It was a, I mean, this, I learned this many years ago. I remember a Bible teacher, R.B. Thing, saying, how do you control a mob? Uh, you know, and once you have a mob control, mob, there's no way of reasoning with a mob. And when Moses came down, it was a it was mob. The whole the slaves had broken loose into worshiping this golden calf, which turned into this massive street party at the base of the mountain. Uh, and you can imagine what was going on. It says the people got up and began to play. Uh, and then there's more graphic details we can figure. That's a nice Sunday school term for they were playing. Uh, at an adult riot party type thing. And, okay, that's enough. Of, that's for enough for, for us. Uh, and Moses, like, he says, Who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites, they step, the tribe of Levi stepped forward and says, We are. And Moses, take your sword and start slaying your brothers and get this thing under control. And they just started slaughtering. And pretty soon the Levites had, because that's what they had done. And Moses was from the tribe of Levi. Uh, you know, because Aaron and him are brothers. And they began to slaughter the brothers until they got the mob under control and Moses regained control and then established a governmental system. Just interesting, the biblical model for controlling a mob is more power than the mob's got. I mean, okay, enough of that. One every, you're not going to reason, you're not going to make political favors. The mob is out of control. You just, you dominate a mob. That's biblical principles. Uh, well, it's not very... Right, well, I'm not even going to worry about that. That's just what the Bible says. Anyway, because the Levites stepped up that day and fought for the Lord, used the sword for the Lord, they're not going to get any land. They're not on this chart. But they were brought in and said, okay, we've got a special place for you. You can be the Levites, the Levitical tribe. The priests will come from the line of Aaron, Moses' brother, but everyone else in the tribe will be workers in the temple. They'll be the gatekeepers. And a gatekeeper is not an usher. A gatekeeper in the temple, you know, uh, just to be a gatekeeper in the temple of the Lord, it's like that, it, that's not an usher at the church. They don't greet you, hi, welcome to church, thanks for coming. They're there guarding the holy place. They're more like a cherubim in front of the tree of, of life with a flashing sword, making sure you don't come in with anything unholy, do anything unholy, and if you do, we'll eliminate you. They're, the, they're not ushers, thanks for coming with like a bulletin, here's some coffee. They're like the gatekeepers, it's like they're checking you over, and if you don't look right, you do something wrong, or if you're from another nation, we just kill you. So don't compare gatekeepers with ushers. And that's what the Levites became. They became the ones who helped slaughter the animals. They helped carry things around. They helped guard the house. But they're not given a land. They're given a responsibility. So that's why you see Simeon has no land, and you do not see Levi's name on there because Levi was given the inheritance of the Lord in the temple or the tabernacle. They are also the teaching tribe. They are the ones that were teaching the people throughout the land. Now, just because they had that responsibility doesn't mean the Levites were good people at all times. I mean, you can see some of the most corrupt people in the Bible were the priests and the Levites and the wicked things they did. Um, But nonetheless, that was their assignment. But as you look at that, what you do see, uh, you see right there above Dan and Benjamin, you see the land of Ephraim. That is this son right here. That's the younger son, Ephraim. And then you see Manasseh right above them. And then you also see Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan. Manasseh got land on both sides. Ephraim's got that land, which includes, Ephraim includes the city of Sechem, which was taken by Levi and Simeon. So that's Ephraim's, that's, and so that, there's no Joseph on there, but you can, if you count Manasseh, Manasseh and Ephraim, that's Joseph's land. 
and Joseph is buried in the land of Ephraim at Sechem. Very close. We'll, we'll talk about that. And then you see the other lands. I'll point this out. You see Dan there just to the left of Benjamin or towards the coast. They were too weak. Here's an example of a, a loser tribe. When you get to the book of Judges, it's, it's a lot of fun to go through Judges because Dan was given that territory and they had to drive out the people there, but they were too strong. So Dan sent spies out, just like Joshua sent spies out to find, you know, spy out the land. They sent spies out. They found a land up north of the Sea of Galilee, up north by Naphtali, uh, that uh, was weak and unsuspecting, a very pleasant land. And they says, well, let's go conquer that. So they left their, their portion given them by the Lord because it was too hard. And they went up there and they slaughtered a group of people and took over. And so that's why you'll see on other Bible maps the land of the, the tribe of Dan is up here in the far north. It's, it's not where they were supposed to be, but it was easier to take that land. So even as they conquered the land, there were some unethical things, in a sense, going on. And that's where they set up the city of Dan. And eventually the golden calf of uh, Jeroboam was set up in Dan and then in, uh, in Bethel, in Ephraim. Uh, nonetheless, that's, that, that's their map. And that's, that's kind of what uh, Jacob is going to be referring to here as he's talking. He calls for Joseph and wants Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh is the oldest one. Ephraim's the, the younger one of the two sons. Um, and he says, before I came to you, I, I, I'll reckon them as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be my sons. Just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. And Reuben is the oldest son. If you go like this, if you want to give it a list real quickly, you've got Reuben, the oldest, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah. Those are the top four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and, and Judah. Reuben, that's why he says, Manasseh and Ephraim will be like Reuben and Simeon. They'll be my sons meaning they're not going to be grandsons or you're not going to give them an inheritance. I will give them an inheritance. In other words, what, he, what J- Joseph is doing, Jacob is doing right here, is he's taking, in a sense, Joseph's sons and making them as his own sons, which makes Joseph, in a sense, equal to Jacob. Because jo- jo- Jacob's sons will inherit the land. But Joseph, you come stand by me and we'll put your sons in the same line as my sons. So he's making Joseph and Jacob himself He's making them, in a sense, equal as far as the inheritance of their sons. Now, Reuben, during this whole chaotic lifetime of Jacob, and again, I don't want to get into the gory details of it, but something he decided that he would go in and sleep with uh, one of Jacob's wives, Billa. And he sleeps with Billa, which is, in a sense, a, a way you would claim, you know, we would think of it as some kind of, you know, sexual gratification and that could be but it's also a claim of when you sleep with the leader's wife you claim a portion of the leader's territory and when jacob hears about it for whatever reason it is it's like no he's upset with reuben so you you lose he's firstborn you blew it simeon levi they both slaughtered the city of simeon or uh, sechem no no you're losers leaving the fourth son, Judah, to be the one that's blessed to have the Messiah. So the Judah, the fourth son, because number one, two, three sons blow it. And so now you have a little bit of ethical behavior. And Judah was the one who, when Joseph says, you can all go because the only one that's guilty is the one who stole my cup, Benjamin. I'll take him and put him in prison for life. You can all go back home. You're all free men. Don't worry about it. I'm a just king. A just, not king. I'm a just ruler. Right, I'm paraphrasing. And they go, oh my gosh. And that's where Judah says, no, 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 no. I will take his place. And that's where Joseph says, okay. So Judah showed his character by stepping in to redeem his brother Benjamin. And so all that plays together. Some of it by default, some of it by character, but Judah becomes leader. That's a little bit about the the, the sons. Okay. Anyway, Manasseh and Ephraim is going to be considered with those sons. And you can see the territory that they're going to be given. Now that's what's taking place right now. All of this is because the book of Hebrews says, in one line, it says, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, son, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And it's like, what? What does that mean? Well, he's dying, Joseph comes in, and Jacob is now projecting all of this. He's advancing this promise because of faith. I'm going to continue reading. He says, 
Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine, meaning first and second sons. These will be like first and second sons to me, Joseph, not your first and second sons. They'll be like my first and second sons. Then he gives him this, any children born to you after them will be yours. I'm not going to take all of your children. I'm just going to take these two. There's no record of Joseph having any more children, but, you know, that it's possible. But they're not going to be part of this blessing. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. So they're going to, just like their brothers are going to get territory, they'll be with their brothers. As I, as I was returning from Padan, remember when he was coming back, has to fight the angel of the Lord, meet Esau, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while she was, we were still on the way a little distance from Ephrath. That's where Benjamin was born. And Rachel dies. She, she, she called him ben of my, son of my suffering, Ben-Omai, or Ben-Onai, and he changed the name to son of my right hand, Benjamin. I died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road of Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Uh, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? Now, this is weird because he just sees them he knows them now i think he's suffering from eyesight trouble so one of two things is happening is uh these these verses are out of line there's stories being connected i don't want to go with that or like i said this is the beginning of the ceremony they all come in they all here's what's going to take place and he goes just like when i start a wedding it's like a father's walking a bride down the aisle and i like look out in the audience who gives this woman to this man like who are you people? What's going on? It's like, well, is Galen just get here? I mean, it's like, it, it's their mom and dad. It's like, so it is her mother and I. What does that mean? It's a, it's a, it's a ceremony. It's not like, oh, well, Galen was confused. It's like, who are you? You're the bride. Well, who's this guy? I'm her dad. Who's marrying her? It's like, okay, that's, but you ask those questions as part of the formality. And that, I think that's what we're going to go with here. You can do it different. So this is the beginning of the ceremony. And you can see the ceremony structure. When, uh, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here. Do you remember what he, J- J- uh, Jacob had just said? The sons that God gave you here before I got here, they're going to receive this blessing. Okay, who are these? These are the sons God gave me here. I mean, he's answering, you can see the ceremony, I think. Now, you don't have to accept that, but you do have to explain why we're starting over again. Uh, they are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, just like Isaac's were. And he could, could hardly see. Now again, he's not blind, he's just hard of seeing. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children also. So Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. Now, understand, these sons are almost 20 years old because they were born before Jacob got there. So, again, ceremonial terms, you you know, you get the picture of the old man in the nursing home with two little babies sitting on his knees. Now they're 20-year-old boys it's kind of like Isaac taking a little baby up on the altar. He didn't. It was Isaac was a young man. So what we got here is he's sitting up on his bed, and probably in the position of the knees, he's, they're standing, not sitting on his knees. They're in the position of the knees, the knees being the place of the right and left side. Uh, so I don't, you don't have to have him sitting on the old man's knees, which would be crushing the old man who's having a hard time sitting up in bed. Um, why are these children sitting on me? Okay, but anyway. 11, Israel said to Joseph, I never expect to see you again. Okay, verse 12. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. So now Joseph is bowing in front of Jacob. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left and Manasseh on his, on his left toward Israel's right hand. So in other words, he takes the oldest son on his left side and puts it on his father's right side and the younger son on his right side and puts him on the father's left side getting him in position the the oldest son is going to get the right hand blessing of jacob and the younger son here the the oldest one gets the bigger blessing and so that's why jacob it's the sermon joseph puts him in position 
So you've got Joseph, the leader of Egypt, leader of the world, taking these two 20-year-old sons, moving them into position, got the old man there, and all he's got to do is put his hand on them and continue the ceremony. And that's what this is. This is a very solemn ceremony. This is not, they're, again, they're not in a nursing home. They're, they're having a ceremony. Um, okay, they moved him up in place. Verse, and, and Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left and, hand, and on Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. So Joseph puts him in position. All, all dad's got to do is this and this. But then in that situation, he takes this hand, puts it on the younger son, and this hand puts it on the older son. And it's like, oh, no. It's like, and who has the ring? It's like, oh, no. It's like, where? And, you know, the people do this joke. But, I mean, imagine, you know, you're in the wedding ceremony, you know, and do, who has the ring? It's like. Oh my gosh, we left the ring in the car. Will someone go get the ring? It's like, it's, it's, you just screwed the ceremony up. So J- J- Jacob is just supposed to do this, but he does this. He goes like, it's like, we've never done the, no one, I mean, this is not like the first time, that this is how they do the ceremony. And it's like, no, dad, no, 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 here, here you're old, you're, you can't see very well. I've got it all, just follow the script, dad. Um, though he was younger, and okay. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God, now he's speaking to Joseph with his hands on the brothers' heads opposite. Um, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, see? May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, and I've walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Now that's interesting. Uh, these two guys were walking before the Lord. Jacob says, the Lord has been my shepherd. I've been following him, which is interesting. They're, you know, they're walk, that means they're walking before the Lord, righteous. Jacob says, I've been being shepherded by the Lord. I've been following the Lord, who's been my shepherd all my life to this day. In the fact, he went to, he, he's in the promised land. He follows him to the Padanaram. The Lord says, yes, I, I'm taking you here. Comes back to the promised land. Didn't really want to come back. He's got to face Esau. And now he's in Egypt. It's like, I had no plan to go into Bananaram, and when I got there, I thought, I'm not going to go back and see Esau, and when I'm here, now I've got my, I'm in Egypt. It's like, so clearly, I'm not walking before the Lord. God's been leading me all the way through this. The, uh, okay, now watch right here. The God who has been my shepherd all, the, all my life to this day. The angel who has delivered me from all harm. Again, he calls God and angel, there's synonyms here. Now, you can do two things with that. You've got God and the angel of the Lord. God could be like the Father, if you want to say that, or it could be the Son. But the angel of the Lord is clearly a manifestation of the second member of the Trinity. Or you could say this, and we've talked about this before, whenever something happens, whenever God intervenes, God does it, but he sends an angel to do it. But when the angel gets there, the angel uses natural events to cause it to happen. We, like, like Sodom, you know, God went down to see Sodom, and then he sent, the, he sent angels to destroy Sodom, but the angels, uh, when we do scientific research, there was an atmospheric explosion that destroyed, so it was God, it was angels, it was an atmospheric explosion. So when science sees the atmospheric explosion, it, says, ah, it was just a natural event. And I know the angels say, no, 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 we control natural events. So the angels did it. Well, no, no, no. We're just doing what God said we were supposed to do. So God caused the natural event. So there's, there's that sequence. So again, this is not a hiccup. This is not a problem. You've got a trinity, but you've also got God who's being his shepherd, and God's doing it. Angels, you can see angels all the time in Jacob's life. May he, okay, that's what he's talking about. God has done in Abraham's life what he'd done in Jacob's life, and now he says, now he's going to talk to Joseph. May he bless these boys May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. So right here, see, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now these two boys are going to be in line with the tw- it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes. Now he's saying it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, my sons, and your two sons are in the same line of, of this blessing. 
Now, all of Israel's in the blessing, but these guys are in the leadership positions. Okay, so that's what he says right here. And may they be called by my name. Verse 17, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. Now, it doesn't mean he's like throwing a fit. It's like, whoa, 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 this is not how the ceremony goes. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it to Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. So he takes the right hand, it's on the younger son, and well, it would be on this side, takes the right hand and moves it over here. So now the oldest son's got both hands on his head. And uh, 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 Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. He's just trying to, he's not being bossy. He's just like, you know, uh, you, you skip the paragraph about you may kiss the bride or something. It's like, no, no, read this part first. But his father refused, meaning I know what I'm doing. I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great, Manasseh. And you can see Manasseh on your map has got land on both sides of the river. Nevertheless, his younger brother, Ephraim, will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. So Ephraim will become a group, not just Israel. They'll branch out and become another whole other group of nations. Now, again, how, how does this happen? Is, how is this going to take place? Has it? When will it? He blessed them that day and says, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. In other words, he says, In the future, people will say this about as a blessing. May God bless you like he blessed Manasseh and Ephraim. He says, What I'm saying will happen to these guys. People are going to want that for their own kids. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. He put the younger ahead of Manasseh. Now, we understand why Abraham put Isaac ahead of Ishmael. We understand why Isaac had to put Jacob ahead of Esau, but there's no, uh, we don't know why Ephraim was put ahead of Manasseh. It's like, this just pops out of nowhere. Uh, is, is Jacob following divine inspiration? Is it Jacob have had a, vi- I mean, there's missing information possibly there, unless Jacob's just, you know, showing off, saying, I'll do whatever I want. I mean, there's got to be a reason, but I don't know if we know the reason. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. Notice that? He knows where he's at, but he's saying, Joseph, remember this. You're not staying here. You are a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and myself. Your sons now have an inheritance back in the land of Canaan. They're going to have their own place. So remember, I am going to be buried there and you are going to eventually have to go back there too. Meaning this, this promise is not just fell Because there's a famine, this hasn't changed. We're going to go right back and get on track. You may not understand it, but no, Joseph, don't take your eye off the promise. You're going back. And so this is what we're talking about, faith. It's like everything is saying, hey, you got a new place. You're, you're part of the Egyptian culture. This is a great, they're living, they're living the good life now. It's like, no, no, no. Don't take your eye off the promise. We're going back to Canaan. Not today, maybe not next week. But you and your family and my sons are going to end up back in the land of Canaan. Uh, He says, then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers and to you as one who is over your brothers. Watch this. Just like the dream, Joseph will rule his brothers. He He says, and to you, now this is to Joseph, as one who is over your brothers, I give you the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Whoa. He says, Joseph, there's a piece of land there in the land of Canaan. That's mine. I still have the title deed. If you check my papers, it's, I've still got, I'm going to give you that land right there. It's the land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. So now we want to flip back in Genesis and see where did Jacob fight this battle and take this land from this land. It's like, and, and it's not there. It's like, <laughs> but, it, but it is because that's where Joseph is going to be buried. So I've got this right here on your notes, if you care. Point six in the bottom of page one. Chapter 33, verse 19. Chapter 33 of Genesis, verse 19. This is... Without getting, again, thank you for your patience. Uh, this is Padanaram way up here in, in uh, Syria, 
Jacob comes back. This is uh, uh, the, the Jordan River, uh, the Dead Sea. Here's the, uh, the Jabok, the Jabok River that flows out of the mountains of Jordan. All this water flows into the Jordan River here. But he comes right up here. And before he crosses the Jabbok, he sends his family ahead and eventually meets Esau. He fights with the angel of the Lord. But right across, he's going to come across here. This would be like the land of Judah eventually. But right in here would be, let's say, Bethel right here. And Bethel is in the land of Ephraim when they divide the land up. Excuse me. Bethel was where? That would be true, Bethel there. But Sechem is there. This would be Bethel. That's where he, house of God. Sechem is what we're talking about now. Jacob comes back and comes across right here after Padanaram meeting Esau. Now he's got all of his family living right here. Now you've heard of Sechem before. Chapter 33, verse 19. Verse 18 of chapter 33. After Jacob came from Padanaram, he arrived safely at the city of Sechem, in Canaan and camped within sight of the city for a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor the father of Sechem the sons of Hamor Hamor was the king of Sechem or again we're talking about city-state kings just like Melchizedek was the king of Jerusalem Uh, Hamor and he's got sons one of the sons names is Sechem and for a hundred pieces of, of silver, he buys a plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, or El, the God of Israel. Or, what's Israel? Israel's not a nation. Israel's who? Israel is Jacob. So El, the God of Jacob. He's, he buys a plot of land outside of Sechem for a hundred pieces of silver, sets up an altar to the God of, we could say, of Jacob. He says God of Israel, but that's his other name, that God has just given him. When the angel fought him right here, says your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've fought with man and God and have overcome. So he comes across here, buys some land, and says, for a hundred pieces of silver, sets some altar, and builds an altar to the God of, not the deceiver, but the God of Israel. So that's his altar, that's his land. Now, the very next chapter, one of Hamor's sons sees Dinah, one of Jacob's daughters, rapes her, and then says, you know what? I want to marry her, and wants to make a treaty. So Hamor, the king of Sechem, comes out with his son Sechem and meets with all the brothers uh, to see how they could make this bride deal, you know, a, a dowry. What do we need to give you so we can bring her into our family and we'll be one? And they say, oh, we just wanted you all to get circumcised like us. And they go, okay, sounds like this guy's a powerful leader, powerful man, got a lot of riches, got a lot of trade. Here's the trade route running right down the coastal plain right here, the King's Highway. So that there's a lot of trade going on. And then, you know, on the third day when they're, you know, blood loss and highest level of pain, Simeon and Levi go and kill them all. So two things happen here. He buys the land for 100 pieces of silver, a plot of land, but his sons with their swords slaughter the city. Now Jacob says, I give you the plot of land I took with my sword and my bow, which is right here by Sechem. Now what's he talking about? I mean, is he, is he combining the stories? Is the fact that Simeon and Levi took it with their sword? Does that he, were, were they, in a sense, Jacob's sword? Because he's their father. They took it. And he says, this is you know, going to reflect on me. Does he consider that? Does he consider the fact that he paid for land and then they took this? Is he combining the events? Nonetheless, what's important about that is he gives that land to Joseph. Now, again, you see what I'm saying? I gave you some information, but it's not like clean. It's, it's something. But the end result, he buys the land, they slaughter the people, and he gives the land to Joseph. And then we go to the next place, uh, chapter, go to Genesis, and we've got five minutes to finish this. Uh, chapter 50, Joseph, his father dies, and Joseph takes and buries him. Uh, they, they go have a big ceremony. That'd be fun to study that ceremony. They have a big ceremony. They march all the way back. They go by Sodom and Gomorrah, and they, and they bring him down into Hebron, where he's going to be buried. Now, nonetheless, um, the death of Joseph. Chapter 50 of Genesis, verse 21. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family, and he lived 110 years, and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. 
and also the children of Mac, son of Manasseh, who, placed at birth, who were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Again, maybe not on the old man's knees, but in the place of blessing. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, uh, out of the land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice what he's saying when he's dying. I'm dying. Everyone pay attention. You're not staying here. You're going to go back. The day is coming where you're going back to Canaan. And again, some people are like, yeah, 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 we've heard that before. It doesn't look like it. I like it here. I've got a business. My kids go to school in the neighborhood. It's like, we're not going anywhere. And others were like, thinking about in the future, whatever. But there's no reason to leave right now, nor is it time. Because they're in the middle of that. Your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land for 400. They're in the middle of Abraham's prophecy that God gave him. But there's an end to this. Jacob's dying words, there's an end to this. Joseph, there's an end to this. After Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, meaning the ceremony, he said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Now, he took his father back and had him buried with Abraham and Isaac. But Joseph is buried right there in Egypt, in a sarcophagus. Not buried in the ground where you've got to dig him up, but in a tomb where you could walk into the tomb and see the box where his bones are. Like a, like a mummy. I would guess they didn't do anything different with Joseph than they did with a pharaoh or anybody else that was a high rank, and they would have a mummy, mummify him and put him in a, in a coffin, in a, in a sarcophagus, and then put him in a tomb or a monument. And that was the monument of Joseph. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, hmm, embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now, we've got to hurry because we've got a couple more verses. I showed you this last week. They're living in Avaris, and I've got it circled on page 3. Now, that, that would date to 1700s, and around 1446, uh, that's when the Exodus takes place, uh, they would have came out of that. You have a late date, a 1250 or so for the Exodus, because the, book, the, the city of Ramses was being built. But Ramses was being built right on top or right beside of ours. It's right on top of it, like two kilometers. It expanded that way. And so that's when that, that's when that city was being built. But understand, that is what the people at that time knew about, what the slaves were doing. But they were living in a virus at that time. Archaeology proves that. So this date is, is based on one phase that Ramses was being built right or they were built, but they're actually over here in Avaris during this time right here. And this is where they find a, a population of Semitic people, very prosperous, very expanded. But then they hit a hard time. It seems like they went into poverty. And all of a sudden, all the bodies were, were the bones weren't fed well. And they were like an oppressed people all of a sudden. Well, anyway, that's all archaeology. You can look that up. But they found there, at the bottom picture, they found a tomb in the city. And there's like other tombs around that. It's like a Semitic house. Uh, and there was a statue. It looked just like this. And it had a scepter's ruler. And it had a coat that had colors on it. And it was a Semitic ruler. And uh, it had been crushed inside that tomb. Everything was just devastated. But the sarcophagus was gone. This is archaeology. That's all we know. But it matches the story that if the Israelites left... The place would have, this place was a very prosperous place, but it went into a time of great poverty. And within that place, there was a monument of a great Egyptian leader amongst this people that at some point, someone came in and just trashed the place. Uh, and it looks, it's there, the image is that of a Semitic person, that way the Egyptians would, would do the Semitic hair. And uh, the sarcophagus is gone. Now, so with that being said, that doesn't mean it's true, but it, it is very interesting that that's the right place, right time, right activity, because that's what the Egyptians would have done, would have just plundered. Joseph was a national hero, but once the exodus takes place, cancel culture took him out. They, can't, they tore down his monuments, crushed his tombs. Uh, someday you'll see something like that take place in your culture, maybe. Uh, chapter uh, 13 of Ex. no, 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 uh, of, uh, yeah, Exodus chapter 13. Okay, the, the, i got to hurry. I'm, a, I'm out of time. Chapter 13. The Exodus has taken place. Uh, chapter 13, verse 19. Uh, 
chapter 17, or chapter 13, verse 7, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though they were, was a shorter distance, for God said, da, da, da. Verse 19, Moses, chapter 13, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear on oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. And that would be, from 1700, now it's 1446, they say, go get the sarcophagus, we're carrying Joseph's bones. Now go to Joshua, and then you're going to skip through Exodus, Leviticus. The bones are in a sarcophagus with the Israelites for 40 years, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then we're going to go through the book of Joshua. In fact, you're going to go all the way through the book of Joshua. They're going to fight all the battles, they're going to be settled in the land, and everybody's got their territory. Ephraim's been given their territory, Manasseh's their territory, all the Judah's got their territory. And now in Joshua 24, verse 32, uh, right here, notice right here, verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1, chapter 24, verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Sechem. Here's Sechem, remember Sechem? At Sechem. Now, I've been there, Ebal and Mount Gilboa. There's a mountain on both sides, and there's an altar. You can still see the altar there. It's an ancient altar, an ancient stone, and there's a big a frame around it, you know, a, a retaining wall around it. And you can, you can stand right there. Stand right there. There's Ebal and, and Gerizim standing right there. That's where he's at. And he, Josh is going to have the people stand on one hill, the other group stand on this hill, and they're going to read the law of Moses. They're going to read the blessings of Moses from this mountain and shout across to this guy. And this group is going to read the curses across the mountain. So they read the, the word of God at Sechem, at that altar, the altar that God of Israel, that Jacob had set up because that had been a place had been, and it's going to be throughout the Bible history, it's still there. Okay, that's chapter 24. I, I'm rushing through this, chapter 24, verse 32. Um, chapter, this is the end of the book of Joshua. We're at the end of the book of Joshua. And remember, this land was given to, by Jacob to Joseph because somehow Jacob took it, either bought it or his sons took it. Verse, chapter 24, verse 32. And remember, this whole time, for 40 years, they've been carrying the bones. They've got the Ark of the Covenant. They've got their tents. They've got their kids. They've got the animals. And someone's in charge of carrying the coffin. I'm not kidding. I mean, someone's carrying the bones of Joseph because they made a promise. He made them swear that they would. Here it is, chapter 24, verse 32 of Joshua. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt 40-some years ago, because they already fought five, six years of battles in the land of Canaan, from Egypt were buried at Sechem in the track of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Sechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And so Joseph's bones were buried there in the land of Ephraim, where his son, his youngest son, got this land. Manasseh settles there. But Joseph's bones, they're, they're there today. In fact, they've just started work on excavating what is supposed to be the tomb of Joseph. So he had a tomb in Egypt that they took the bones out of and the Egyptians crushed it. They buried him here. And now through the sen- just like once you and you you know this, and I'll get you the Israel book, Jerusalem book. When what the what you see today is not the original monument, because they built on a, the monument was built in the 1900s, the 1500s, the 1400s by the Crusaders, by the Byzantine Christians, whatever, through the last 2,000 years. But you keep going down, down, down. Eventually, there's going to be the original layer, and there's going to be a tomb of Joseph. Then, you know, they built something over that, and that kind of got deteriorated. They built something over that. So you've got to excavate all the way down to find the 1440, or yeah, 1400 uh, tomb that's been covered up for 3,400 years of different people coming through, including some coming like the Babylonians or the Assyrians that don't respect it, destroying it, and someone else building it back up. So they're excavating that right now. Now, on this right here, they just found on one of those mountains this year, uh, excavating, uh, they found the earliest inscription of the name Yahweh on some on a curse. What do you call omelet? Omelet? How do you say omelet? They're like little little scrolls they'd wear around your neck or something like this. And there's little words written on it in Hebrew. And it's say that amulet. Is that how you say amulet? Yeah, I I always read it, but I never know how to say certain words. So I should go to college and hear professors like say words. Uh, but uh, 
it, it, it's, it's, it's got the name Yahweh on it and some kind of a curse that was there, meaning it's, that's where they stood on that mountain and they read, and they dated it to 1440 B.C. I mean, they date, it's like this is the, the style of writing. It's, it's the oldest name Yahweh found in Israel at the right place, at the right time, with the right type of curse on it. So, I mean, all this is fitting together. Okay, I'm out of time. I got to quit. I appreciate you being here. We're done with those verses. We, we'll talk about something else next week. <laughs> Father, do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that you'd lead and guide us, that we would be people of faith also, that we would trust your promises, not get settled and comfortable in life here without keeping our eye on what you're doing in the eternal sense in our own lives, uh, even dealing with the distant future. Again, we thank you for this opportunity and ask that we'd live a life that is pleasing to you at this time in history. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.